0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the very first episode of a new podcast, the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. Um, We are here with uh, co-hosts, myself, uh, Andrew Lindroth, and my father, James Lindroth. Hello, everybody. So this podcast um, is a father and son, old school and new school hockey mindset, talking some hockey, talking about mostly the Bruins and what's going on right now, especially with all the recent news coming out. And then we also like to stray off topics we'll also be talking about other things happening around the nhl and then um, eventually we'll be talking about some old Bruin stories especially when my father watched the good old uh, school of the hockey days back then um, so we appreciate everybody uh, taking the opportunity and the chance to listen to us and uh, we are very very excited to get this kicked off so without further ado um, so dad uh, the first thing I'd like to talk about is something that was just announced, um, I would say about an hour and a half, two hours ago, uh, the Bruins finally announced a pair of signings, or three, I should say. Um, we have Jacob Zaboral who um, was signed to a two-year, one-way contract worth 725 k and then Callum Booth, goaltender, and Greg McKeg, probably the best name in hockey. Both of their deals are one-year, two-way 700,000, both of those players. So, Deb, what do you think about the brand-new depth signings for the Bruins?
1: Well, I don't know if I'd call them depth, but uh, here we go. So, Zaborl, uh, like you said, he has a, um, uh, a two, two years, 725,000, but it's a one-way contract. So, Andrew, what does a one-way contract mean? So basically in Zaborl's situation right now, and I was kind of
0: surprised by the one way, but this is the Sweeney basically saying, you know, we need to give the first rounder that we chose back in 2015, let's not forget, this was uh, he was picked at number 13 overall, um, but essentially he's giving him the chance to play. Um, if he ends up not making the team, or of course impressing to uh, make that permanent spot, um, then he will be sent um, on his way back down to Providence on waivers. Um, and, of course, he may not pass waivers. Some team may claim him, and I wouldn't blame them. It's a very cheap deal, two-year deal for a, a good depth
1: defenseman. Well, let's remember where he, he comes from. So he was our first-round pick, 13th overall in the 2015 draft. And who else did De Bruins choose? It's interesting, in that same draft that plays on the team.
0: Right. This is the dreadful draft all the fans love to bring up and throw in Don's face. After Zaborl, the 14th overall pick was Jake DeBrusque. Following that was the 15th overall pick, uh, Zach Seneshin. So it's very interesting. I'm glad that Zaboral is getting the chance. I know that um, Seneshin will also get his chance, hopefully once he re-signs as well. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping he, he does
1: well. And, Dad, do you have any stats in front of you for
0: Zaboral?
1: Well, the only thing that stands out, you know, he's that left defenseman. And remember, the Bruins are looking for a left defenseman, so we we predict. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be it. He's six foot, he's 200 pounds. He's only 23 years old. Um, the interesting stat with me that stands out last year um, in Providence, he was a plus 20. So that kind of stood out for me last year. Um, so with the one year deal at the Bruins, again, if they send him down to the AHL, he'll have to clear waivers. And, you know, a, a team is going to pick him up. He's, he's a, a, a potential rising star He's, you know, still developing, but you just don't waive first-round draft picks. You know, you got to develop them. So it is an interesting move. That it is a one-year, I'm sorry, one-way deal. And uh, what did you say? Was it two years? Yeah, two-year deal. So, you know, that's kind of the trade-off. Two years. We'll see what you can do. Had to give the kid the one-way deal, so he'll get a shot to play at least. Yeah, and. Uh-
0: According to um, Providence Bruins, a credentialed rider, actually the owner and founder of Black and Gold uh, Hockey Productions, uh, Mark Allred, he in fact said when he was going and riding for all the games, um, he said Zaboro was the best looking defenseman by a mile on that team. So even apart from stats, for people that just go based off what they see personally, um, Zaboro's had a really good season last year. And I think that he's going to get a really, really good opportunity, obviously. And I I really hope he works out because now that Krug is left, obviously he won't replace Krug, but we definitely need some left-hand defensemen to step up and help out that side a lot. Um, So with that being said, um, going on to the other two. So I'll be up front. Um, I briefly looked up Callum Booth, uh, goaltender, um, right before... Uh, We had started this. Don't have much information on him other
1: than AHL, ECHL player, right? Correct. He's a 2015 fourth round pick. Um, So he doesn't have any NHL experience. Uh, He's spent most of his time in in Atlanta, it looked like, in the ECHL. Some AHL experience. Um, You know, I guess if you were to take an average it's somewhere a little over, um, you know, three goals is his goals against average typically. So he's not setting the world on fire, but uh, um, I don't think, you know, at this point we'll spend too much time on him other than he's gonna be developing for us. Uh, We did lose um, Legacy, um, but I don't think he's a replacement for Legacy. Uh, I think it's just uh, another goaltender that the Bruins have thrown into the mix with all the other goaltenders fighting for some development spots. Yes, I agree. And uh, moving on to
0: uh, the guy with the best name in hockey, in my opinion, Greg McCaig. Um Some Bruins fans uh, know this guy, some of them don't, um, but he is a good fourth line center. I mean, he is a plug and according to a lot of um, Rangers and Hurricanes fans, um, this was a good signing on our part um, because he's a very, very hard worker, blue collar guy uh, as far as his playing style. Um, I know he's not a big point guy, which you don't expect your fourth line guys to be. But I think between him, Lindholm, and Corrale, because Corrale usually plays center uh, with him being thrown on the left wing quite a bit on the fourth and third line um, the past season or two, uh, it's definitely a good thing we have McCaig there um, as a really good guy to plug in. And he's on a two-way deal. So, um, you know, he can go back and forth if we need to, because I know that Lindholm uh, is our fourth line center depth guy. And uh, I, I believe he's a one-way contract. So he would hit waivers. So um, good depth through centers. I mean, we've got him
1: We've got them all right. now. Yeah. He's six foot, 192 pounds. Like you said, a, a fourth liner, um, not setting the world on fire. But if you're on the fourth line, you're not setting the world on fire. You don't have as many opportunities with the ice time. Um, interesting stat with him over the last two seasons, he had a uh, a 22-shot percentage and also a 12.5 last-year shot percentage. So, you know, that's uh, where we're at with the stats with him. It is a two-way deal, and uh, he must want to play for the Bruins to accept that two-way deal knowing that, you know, let's face it, the Bruins last season, uh, we'll talk about it later in the podcast, but, you know, we have players up and down, up and down, up and down. Kuhlman, Lindholm, I mean, you take your pick – players are coming up and down, up and down. So it looks like we're just adding him as a little bit of some gritty depth in that mix. So uh, I'm glad it's a two-way deal for the team, meaning that we wouldn't have to put him on waivers.
0: So And I think it's important to mention this too. I think McKaig is a good addition if he actually really fits in on the fourth line permanently. Um, you know, Sweeney and Cassidy are, are trying their hardest to replicate that 2018, 2019 fourth line of, Uh, Achari, Corrali, and uh, Wagner, along with Nordstrom in the mix here and there. And then last year, um, they were still a good fourth line, but not as offensively productive and not that big shutdown fourth line they were the year before. Um, And now that uh, Nordstrom is no longer with the Bruins as well, um, along with Frederick coming up and everything, it's definitely important to look at this fourth line and make it how it was back at that 2018-2019 season when they had one of the best fourth lines out there in the league. Um, one of my one of the other big signings that I'd like to talk about right now that I find to be one of the most underrated signings of this free agency is Craig Smith. We recently signed him to a three-year 3.1 million uh, annual average average annual value excuse me deal. I think this is a wonderful deal. Are you familiar with Craig Smith at all,
1: Dad? I mean, have you? do you remember watching him on Nashville? Yeah, I mean, he's – I think he's going to add a little bit of depth on the third line. May, would he make it to the second line? I mean, it depends on, you know, we're going to talk about possible injuries coming into the next season. Um, I like him. Um, I, I, I can't say today we can, I can talk with – you know, details about him. I've not really looked him up other than just knowing him as a good third liner, gritty guy. So tell us a little bit more about him.
0: Yeah. So I was able to look at it quite a bit. And of course, with uh, refreshing Twitter constantly uh, since last Friday when Freedency opened, uh, once we made this deal, um, the Bruins fans were kind of split in half about the opinion of uh, this is a really good signing and, and they didn't find Smith to be worth it, especially at $3.1 million, and they were also dissing him because he's a, he's a third liner. That's what, at least what he was at Nashville, and uh, he's 31. So a lot of people were, you know, giving Sweeney crap about the signing, but here's some things that people don't realize right away. Smith, on a third line, has had five sh- straight, other than last year, which we'll get to that in a second, five straight 20-goal seasons since 2013-2014 season. So the guy is scoring goals. He can definitely uh, put up the points. And by the way, that's as many as Taylor Hall has 20-goal season since then as well. Um, he's had 18 goals and 31 points last year in 69 games. So, of course, I, I obviously, if he would have stayed healthy, played the full uh, season, if the season was never paused, he would have definitely eclipsed over 20 again um, and also had a plus 18. So um, he's very, very reliable defensively in his own end as well, which is – very important especially with the way the Bruins are structured defensively Um, and for the big stat nerds his courtesy percentage the past three seasons starting from three seasons ago goes 56.8 percent 53 percent and then last year 54.8 percent so when Smith has the puck that line has that possession and they keep it and he drives it really well And he's one of the best um playmakers as far as driving the puck, going deep in that zone and making something happen. I also noticed in his highlights, he has some wonderful rebound ability. I mean, he's able to put it in the back of the net. And I think that the past playoffs uh, and the bubble, that was one big thing I noticed just watching the games is that the Bruins could not cash in on a lot of juicy rebounds, especially coming from Bass So what did you think now that you know the stats of Smith? You know, this guy isn't just a third line guy that everybody says he is. I know I talked deep in depth about all of his numbers and everything, but I think that's very important. He could play with
1: Krejci. Well, at his age, you know, he's starting to, you know, they, what do they usually say in hockey? Hockey ages by age 28, 29, you're at your prime, and then you start going downhill after that. So, at 31, he's, he's still at a good point uh, in his career. And l- let's face it, when we look at a little bit of, of hockey history, and I know we have a lot to talk about, so I'll, I'll keep this brief. But a lot of times a change of team does a lot for a player, especially when they're a veteran player. And, uh, you know, the Bruins are a team like all the other teams where sometimes a player coming in can get a fresh start, change things around. The guy knows what what to do. He's 31. So it could just be this, you know, setting a spark under him to – uh, say you got a fresh start, go for it, show us what you got and you know let's face it, you know all the Bruins members, at least publicly, you know they have nothing but uh, you know praise for their teammates and the chemistry and the and the work environment inside the team. so who wouldn't want to come to Boston so this may just uh, give him the opportunity to break out at age thirty one like you said, he scores goals. But he might be able to do even more, and sometimes having that change of scenery uh, allows someone to come in and make a little bit more of themselves. And I know everybody was hoping, even I
0: was a little bit. I'm not a big fan of Taylor Hall, but I know everybody was hoping the Bruins were going to sweep in on the Taylor Hall sweepstakes and sign him to a deal. Um, and although we haven't gotten a, the dawn off, or I know to fully signed with Montreal, all these right wingers that the Bruins were supposedly interested in kicking the tires on even if Smith is the only um, top nine right wing addition to the Bruins right now I think the Bruins will be okay because I think that Smith like you just said could really have a breakout season I think that he could possibly hit 30 goals and I think he could slot into the second line I mean I don't I don't see why he wouldn't
1: I mean, I wouldn't compare Hall and him, you know, they're definitely, I think, two different players, but I understand what you're coming from. Um, you know, I'm happy that the Bruins didn't sign Taylor Hall, and, um, I, you know, I may, you know, get some flack from people about this, but we've done a Taylor Hall experiment. It was called a Tyler Sagan experiment, and I think he's from that, that mold, and the listeners kind of need to understand that um, Andrew and I, while we are huge Boston fans, and, you know, we consider that home. We live in Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So um, we used to go down and see Taylor Hall play when he was in Oklahoma City. And there was just sort of that, um, you know, Sidney Crosby, whiny, crybaby, you know, how dare they do that to me, you know, with the refs, when he was down there with Oklahoma City Barons, I think it was. So we didn't... You know, he was a rising star. He was clearly better than any other player, but it came with this attitude that I think coaches are not looking for. And I'm not saying he hasn't matured since then, but let's look at his deal a one year deal. Salary caps are frozen. So he's just looking to go somewhere different than Arizona. He's looking to cash in on the money, which I don't blame him at all. What did he get, eight million? Eight million. $8 but what he's really doing is saying, we have no idea what the economy is going to be like, and I'm not going to lock my, I'm assuming this, I'm not going to lock myself into a long-term deal, you know, four or five-year deal, at a certain amount of money where everything could turn around, the virus, you know, gets under control, and we get back to normal, and I may be able to get even more money with a longer-term deal. Because let's face it, does he really want to stay with the team he's at? Well,
0: and that's the thing is his comments were, um, you know, he wanted to play for a contender. At, at this point, he, he knows that the cap's going to be frozen. He's not going to be making um, the money that he's definitely looking for. I think that he did with this $8 million contract. But apart from that, um, it was very confusing when he did sign with Buffalo. Of course, once you saw one year, $8 million, you kind of get the feeling that um, he did it because, uh, you know, according to insiders and, and information I've seen, all the other teams like the Bruins offered him, I think about $6.5 million. I know that uh, I think it was the Canucks and uh, Colorado, they were all offering between five to six and a half. So Buffalo had the money, grabbed him. And I think that Taylor Hall is going to use this to his advantage to not only make a lot more money than he thought he was going to initially, but he gets to play with Jack Eichel, whether or not Buffalo Sabres is looked at as a horrendous organization, mostly starting from the off the, offices all those upper management um, but I think with them cleaning house and with Jack Eichel there I think it was a little bit more enticing for him as well and he's going to try and put up as many points as possible with first line minutes I also think that's important by the way Taylor Hall if he was going to go to the Bruins or a Colorado Avalanche and I could be wrong but he wouldn't be playing first line minutes he wants to play about 19 20 minutes a night and that's what he'll get with Eichel and he'll be able to produce a lot of points and then Hall will be able to cash in next year unless he decides to sign another one year deal. If the economy, unfortunately is still um, in the shitter. So um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little disappointing. In my opinion, it would have been good to have um, a star studded player, even just for this year with our window closing. But I think that Smith, although like you did, like you said, dad, can't compare Smith to Hall, but I think that Smith is better than nothing. And, Um, I was starting to get worried that if we didn't sign Craig Smith, uh, the options were going to be very limited for the Bruins. Um, So with that being said, I'd like to move on um, to, unfortunately, I wish we could talk all day about a bunch of great signs the Bruins made. But the last one that they made was the first one that they announced when free agency opened last Friday. Kevin Miller, 33-year-old defenseman, fantastic Bruin. He re-signs at one year two million dollars Here, here's the thing. I'm saying two million, but it's actually one million for his uh, average annual value but he's got a million dollars in bonuses set up. So Dad, listen to this real quick before I get your opinion first of all, I'm resigning Miller and then with the contract. So one of the bonuses is a $250,000 bonus. It's called a roster day bonus, I believe. And essentially, as if he makes a starting roster at some point and plays, I believe, one second, steps on the ice during a game and plays one game, he will get that 250000 And don't forget, bonuses do count against the cap, these performance bonuses. Or I don't know if it's considered performance, but I believe it is. I'm not 100% sure. Anyways, the other ones are if he plays 10 games, another 250000 Same thing when he plays 20 and then 30. So I'm kind of confused. And don't get me wrong. Personally, I love Miller. He embodies a true Bruin, great shutdown defenseman. We really, really have missed him the past two playoffs. But $1 million for a guy who may not even be on the injured reserve list long term to where we can bury his cap for now, you know, he's, he, he could possibly be healthy and taken up $1.25 million or more if he plays more games and just doesn't play well. So it kind of doesn't make sense to me that we've got a lot of priorities. We're obviously cap stricken and we sign a defenseman who is 33 and has had terrible knee pain and surgeries and injuries that um, has not been allowed for him to play the past 18 months. That's right. 18 months. So dad, now I'm sorry with all that information, I had to get that out there for the listeners to understand the full contract
1: of this. What is your
0: opinion now, bringing back Miller, first of all, as a player?
1: I, I think it's I, – well, I thought the Bruins were going to let him go, you know, unrestricted free agent. So I thought they were going to let him go just because it's been 18 months. You know, he's been injury prone. Now, as a player, I love the guy. I mean, he was one of my favorite players when he was playing, yours too. I mean, he is the, a Bruin through and through. You know, he gets in those corners. He grinds um, and, and, and defends well and clears people from in front of the net, which I think the Bruins have had trouble with this playoff season, but uh, we won't digress. So I think for a million dollars, it's just a, a million dollar gamble. And in the long term, I don't think it's a lot of money. And hence, if he doesn't play, he doesn't get that 250. So You know, it depends on how you look at the deal. If you look at it from the Bruins' side, it's just a million dollars to say, we're going to keep you, and, you know, if you play, we'll pay you a little bit more. But if you don't pay, you know, it's a million-dollar retainer. And in professional sports, it's not a lot of money. So I'm glad he's back. I thought the Bruins would pass on him. We'll see what he can do. But, you know, consistency is going to be the question mark with him. And I'm sure the coach wouldn't be happy having him in and out of the lineup with injuries, but the Bruins apparently have decided that they're willing to take uh, that risk with him to see what he can do. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm definitely surprised, you
0: know, and one of our favorite players, but the contract doesn't make sense to me. And this is just me personally. I, I would say they should have let him go, but all you can hope for is he comes in and can play hockey game. I mean, really just play. I mean, I, you feel for the guy, especially if you're a big fan of his, like I am personally and, and my father as well. But, you know, at this point, if, if we are having trouble, you know, paying, you know, trying to re-sign our own players right now and we're just not in a good cap space right now. I mean, the money is so bad and we'll talk about this situation a lot more in depth later. So I don't want to go too much into it, but in my opinion, doesn't make sense, but I do hope he works out. He could be a very good depth option for the year. So we'll see what happens, Zad. We'll see what happens. So on the topic of defensemen, Grizzlick, left-hand defenseman, great player. He recently filed for salary arbitration because he was eligible for it. So briefly, I'll explain what this means for listeners that don't understand what that necessarily means. So sometimes players are eligible, usually when they're younger, I think this is more of a younger player thing, um, but basically um, if he doesn't agree with the contract uh, that was initially offered to him, um, he can now file for the salary arbitration only if he's eligible and he was, so he filed for it and he wants to challenge the salary he was offered. So he will go, so Grizzlick and his agent, along with uh, Sweeney and whoever else is in charge of all this will go in front of a third party They will present their cases each, um, explain what they think each other's or what Grizzly is worth from both sides. And then from there, the third party will determine the salary for that player each year. Once they determine the salary for that player, the management now has to, has to decide whether it's going to be a one-year deal or two years and this is exactly what happened with Heinen last offseason if people don't remember he ended up getting a two-year what was it 2.75 million somewhere around there but he did the same thing um, if it's more than I believe 4.65 million just for uh, extra information the management can actually say no and release him um, as an unrestricted free agent so that is the only way Grizzly could would not or could possibly not get a contract but essentially him going to salary arbitration I tell people don't worry because all this means is he's not happy with what Sweeney low-balled him at Um, so he's going to get a contract he'll get a one or two year deal and that will be that but I'm kind of surprised dad what do you think about Sweeney seems like he's low-balling Grizzly because it definitely takes a lot for a player I think to say I'm going to
1: challenge this well I mean, you know, Sweeney, I think, has his plan. What that is is anybody's guess. And, you know, I mean, right now he's not looking great as far as, you know, the fans are getting a little restless from what I see with the not, you know, signing people and, and you know, no trades. But I'm sure that the whole team is working on and has a plan. So with Grizzly, you know, I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's an okay defenseman. I think there's more opportunity. Uh, I think there's more talent inside of him that they're going to continue to develop. He is getting better. I think each year, uh, you know, he's lauded as as a as a good leader, uh, especially you know there's players that have uh, raved about his uh, leadership abilities when he was captain of uh, of his college team. So you know, I I think there's a little bit more there than what most people think when they think of you know. Um, Grizz, but uh, you know it's salary arbitration. We don't know what Sweeney offered him. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's too much. Maybe it was an insult. I mean, we don't know, so we can't really speculate there. So um, you know, October twentieth to November eighth or something like that is when all these arbitration hearings take place. Right. I'm interested, not to get off on a tangent, but I'm interested with freezing the salary cap and all, I mean, teams are losing money. How can they not? There's no ticket sales. There's no, there's not, not much revenue coming in. So it'll be interesting to see how the NHL arbitrators side, meaning are they going to kind of help out the owners, you know, where the owners are going to complain, you know, of look, you know, you got to cut us a break. This is a COVID uh, you know, time period here and we're all losing money and we can't, you know, so, you know, Who knows? I mean, it's pure speculation, but I I think it has to be. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about the Bruins owner in a little bit, but I would imagine that the NHL are going to have to kind of look at this arbitration and listen to both sides, but probably lean towards the team more than the player. But who who knows?
0: And that's a good point as well, Dad, because usually, at least from what I've seen, and just in my opinion, I feel as if the arbitrators are usually in favor of uh, the player's um, but like you said, now with the owner strapped for cash, all the franchising teams, it'll be interesting. There's quite a few big ticket names that have filed for salary arbitration. And Grizzlick's will be on the first day available along with, the, I think, three or four other people. And that will be scheduled for October 20th. So pay attention for October 20th. We'll actually find out what deal Grizzlick signs. And hopefully it's a, honestly, maybe a one-year deal because not to go off on a tangent at all about the expansion draft. Cause that's, you know, next, next year, but um, Grizzlick would be exposed if he signs a two-year contract, I believe, but he will not, if he only signs one year now. So that also is just something to take into account um, to keep a thought of. So let's move on from Grizzlick Now um, we know that he's going to continue to be a brewer and come back. It'll depend on how much money he, he will end up making. So the, Rumors, um, I believe, from a couple weeks ago has now been officially squashed by the man himself, Tuka Rask. Um, I know that there's speculation that – or maybe not even speculation, it was actually confirmed that Sweeney was calling teams and trying to value Tuka Rask. And at at one point, I believe he was on the TSN trade bait list and was pretty high up there. I think he might have – I'm almost certain he was on there. Maybe he wasn't. Don't quote me on that, but – He's now squashy. He came out and said, um, you know, I want to be a Bruin. There's no other team I want to play for. And he also had said, you know, if I get traded to another team, I'm going to retire, essentially. I don't yeah. know word for word if that's what he said. I can't remember. Right. But
1: essentially, Rass doesn't want to leave. Right. We, so, I mean, there's not much the Bruins could do. I mean, you know, if he's if he has that threatened. And, you know, based on the whole – virus situation and him leaving the bubble and and I don't want to weigh in on that because I think fans are pretty split and we really don't know unless we had Tuka here to ask him but um you know he he left the bubble we know that the management didn't like it the coach probably didn't like it and um you know that kind of set up this whole you know I mean hearing reports that he was done in Boston and I think he was done in Boston is my personal opinion I think that that was enough for the management. But now they can't move him. And Tuka's, I think if the Bruins trade him, I think he's going to say, all right, I'll retire. Like, I think don't call his bluff is what I'm trying to say. Well, and the thing is, too, with him now saying,
0: I'm going to retire if I'm traded, that immediately depletes any trade value because right. who, wants is no to, trade value. who wants to trade, you know, a first rounder. And no. we'll, we'll need a goaltender out of this as well. I mean, let's not forget, as much as the Rask haters hate on Rask you've got to realize Halak cannot take on a full load. And I know Vladar did not have a chance, and I don't blame him for the terrible loss that occurred against Tampa, um, I think, during game three or whatever it was at this past playoffs. But we need Rask this season. And with the window closing on the old core, I think that Rask and Halak tandem is still the best tandem possible for the Bruins
1: to win. I think so. And, you know, whether you're going to like – or agree with Rask and how he's doing things. It comes down to that he's going to be a Boston Bruin. He's going to be working for the for the for the organization. So you put him to work. And whether the Bruins, I mean, is he come unrestricted after next season? Yeah, he has, he's So you know, the, we'll tackle that down the road if the Bruins want to part ways with him. But in the meantime, it's like you hired him. He's an employee. You're going to work. So yeah, he's going to. I think he's going to be in there and. I don't think he's gonna, you know, just sit back on his heels. I think he's gonna compete, and um, you know, everybody knows this that has played hockey that follows hockey. I mean, goalies are weird. They're strange people. They really are, and uh, you know, to so sort to of try to get inside Tuka Rask's mind, I mean, good luck. You know, yeah, good good luck. I agree. So and- I'm glad we're gonna keep Rask. Uh, I think Halak's gonna make a great you know, back up, and, you know, I have full confidence in 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 both the goalies, so. And I know that whenever he did leave the
0: bubble, I don't remember if it was him who said it, or, or whoever it was, but him having the family problem, well, he officially came out when he had said this in an interview that he would be traded, I mean, that if he was traded, he would retire, he wants to stay approved, yeah, yeah. and that he had actually came out and said, I had received a phone call, my daughter had yeah went to the hospital, but with that being said, I don't think that Sweeney was, and this is my opinion, Sweeney was trying to trade him because of that reason. I feel like, um, you know, I know that fans are split 50-50 on this. We won't dive into it, but I think that the only reason why he would even gauge his value is because of his $7 million salary cap, and he's probably the more valuable one on the team, and we could get a lot back for him, but you would lose your number one goalie. It's not, not a good
1: move. Well, they but. can't trade him, so it's, the issue's done, and, you know, it's, he wants to be a Bruin, which I appreciate that and love about that but uh you know if you're an employer you, you know if you're sweeney and, and neely you're probably not happy with how he you know the the player gms do not like when players have control they just don't uh you know like any other boss and you know tuca kind of kind of kind of <laughs> gave it to him so you know uh i guess it depends on how you want what perspective you want to look at it so so we'll, you- we'll leave that i think yeah
0: so um, to take a break real quick uh, from you know free agency signings and all the current stuff going on with the Bruins, um, something that a lot of the fans don't know that I'd like to bring up real quick is uh, the Bruins' ECHL minor league affiliate, the Atlantic Gladiators, so far has been the only team to opt out of the upcoming 2020-2021 season, while the other teams are going to be playing Um, split schedules. I won't go into details about that, but the Boston Bruins uh, had their deal up with Atlanta Gladiators. So they hadn't signed a new deal with them yet, but with them now not doing it next season, obviously now Bruins are without an ECHL affiliate. I have no idea if there's another team that they're able to sign a deal with, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens to, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, goaltender Kaiser, Um, you know, most likely a Jeremy Swayman. I didn't know
1: that. So Atlanta is not an affiliate of the
0: Bruins at this point. Nope. Nope. They had a one-year deal with them and they didn't resign that deal with them, I believe. And
1: well, I think, I think, I think the solution that I would have again, Andrew and I, we, we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. um, And we're big fans of uh, the Tulsa Oilers, the ECHL affiliate. And while they were, Well, let's put it this way. The the coach and GM of the Tulsa Oilers is, uh, Brewers fans would know, is Rob Murray, who was assistant coach and head coach of Providence for quite some time. And I know that he has ties. I've I've spoken to Coach about this um, last year, and he still has very close ties to the Boston organization. And Tulsa was an affiliate of, uh, let's see, Winnipeg, and then... Um, St. Louis for the last two years and now they just uh, uh, oh and also last year they also uh, Rob Murray pulled in the affiliate of Anaheim so the Tulsa Oilers were pulling players that the AHL weren't using from two teams from uh, Anaheim and St. Louis and it worked well for the Tulsa Oilers they went all the way to the conference finals Um, however what I'm saying is is Tulsa did sign with Anaheim again for a one-year deal, three-year deal. deal. And, you know, I don't see why there's any reason why the Bruins can't, you know, loan some players down there to Tulsa. I'm sure he knows the system. I think Cassidy was assistant coach of Murray's at Providence. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I think he was. So he's, you know, he's tied in the Boston scene. So, you know, if, uh, I know that Sweeney and Neely aren't listening to our podcast, but if, if, they, if they ever get wind, you know, I'm sure Rob Murray would be, you know, love to uh, pull some players on loan the way that uh, they did from Anaheim uh, last year when they are an affiliate with St. Louis. So it, it can happen. But anyway, it is interesting. Those ECHL players, some do make it to the NHL, so you can't, um, you know, just trash ECHL because there's been many players that have made it to the NHL. It's a great uh, um, league for de- development. And, uh, you know, the Bruins will definitely need an ECHL place to, you know, help develop some of their players that just aren't making an AHL or can't play every single game. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see as well if uh, any other teams
0: uh, follow suit. Um, I-, I would sure hope not, just because, you know, as uh, Tulsa Oilers fans, in fact, season ticket holder. Yeah. drops right in front of me. Yeah. Um, it would definitely be a bit devastating if that ECHL got canceled or Tulsa Oilers opted out. So I feel for any Atlanta Gladiators fans, that actually sucks. That's pretty terrible. And uh, hopefully this doesn't hurt the ECHL. You got to think, too, you know, ECHL, for people that don't know, is pretty much the double A. So it's right below the AHL. Um and, you know, if you've ever been to an ECHL game, as you can imagine, um, not a ton of people show up, lots of free tickets.
1: About 5,000, I think, is the average right. game base. But then how much free tickets do they hand out? Usually a lot, right? They have those vouchers. Sure. Everything. When you're, I mean, Tulsa and even Oklahoma, Oklahoma City as well. I mean, they have a, a, a all the way back to the 1920s, they have hockey history. But this is not a hockey area. Um but they do have, interesting enough, hockey in Oklahoma does have a long history. It's just not very popular. So, yeah, they, they have to give out a lot of tickets to try to come into the game, um, but, you know, the Oilers do a good job with uh, attendance. Last time I checked, compared to all the other places, and ECHL is now all over the nation, you know, and not to get on a tangent with ECHL, but, you know, they, they had to morph from the Central Hockey League, which Tulsa was part of before that. So it seems like it's a much, much bigger league. And, uh, the, you know, you need that, um, that league, you know. And, and the story with the ECHL happened with Binnington from St. Louis, since we were an affiliate of St. Louis. Uh, Binnington was actually called down to the ECHL Tulsa. Yeah, to
0: the Tulsa.
1: And he actually refused to go and I don't know the details, but I remember he refused to go. And a few months later, he's now making millions of dollars. He's the number one goalie in St. Louis. So you just never know what's going to happen. So uh, anyway, there there we go. Hopefully they have some sort of affiliate or they can be uh, uh, loaning players down the way that Anaheim did with Tulsa. So there you go. Well, now that we've taken our short
0: break, we'll go back to the unfortunate things that we don't really want to talk about, but we've got to. How are the Bruins looking so far
1: almost a week into free agency, Dad? What are you grading them? What are your thoughts <laughs> overall? Let's just go with that. Well, you know, us fans, we get impatient. And like I said before, I'm sure they have a plan. And maybe these plans don't work out, but I'm sure they have contingency plans. And I think we owe... Sweeney, and Neely, because he's, you know, dealing with, with management, you know, with Sweeney as well. We got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And and it's not looking good at right now. We're not getting these. Um, we've got to question, you know, what's going on? There's not much trades. There's a couple little signings here, but nothing major that solve it. that's going to solve some of the problems that everybody thinks the Bruins have. So I don't want to grade them. I think it's a little early for that. I mean, we could have a Next podcast next week we could be talking about oh man Sweeney's a genius he just made this trade and you know um, I just wish and some of the older Bruins fans you can agree or disagree with me but there's so many in the 70s even in the 80s of of um, Harry Sinden making trades that were absolutely ridiculous for Boston I mean it's literally some of the deals that and trades that he made was just just Mind-boggling, and how would he talk other teams to, you know, giving away their best players? And I mean, it's just, you know, uh, we need some, uh, you know, Harry Sinden moves here, and maybe the uh, the business game of it has changed, and it's it's much more difficult. But I just hope that Sweeney makes some good decisions here. I think they they know what they're lacking. It's just whether or not they can fill in the holes, and I know we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the Bruins' ownership here in a little bit. But so I, I just say right now it's 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 in progress. I wouldn't say I would grade it. I'll just say it's in progress. Let's evaluate it later. Well, and here's my issue is that. Um,
0: you know, after we were eliminated from the playoffs, uh, Neely had said, you know, we're going to be very, very aggressive. You know, we have this small window that's closing, and we're going to do everything that we can to make moves, make our team better, and win, and so far, you know, obviously, um, since free agency had opened, um, it's been very lackluster. O- other than the Smith signing, in my opinion, I think that, uh You know, nothing major is really fixing the problems. I think Smith does address an issue on the team. So I think that he is helping, but he's obviously not the answer. Um, But it is weird now that they had this initiative to be very aggressive. um, And suddenly they're really, really, you know, just reserved. It's shocking. And that's how Sweeney is. I mean, I, I never saw Sweeney as a guy who was extremely aggressive or, you know, went and made crazy moves, you know, impulse decisions, but... Um, You know, with that being said, do you think the reason why uh, Sweeney has been very reserved and quiet is because you think they're dealing with an internal cap? Because I know right before we started this podcast, you had researched a little bit on the Bruins owner, the Jacob family, and some Mm -hmm. of the financial troubles they're having. And I wonder um, if this is going to really
1: affect the team that much. So what are your opinions? Do you think that they're dealing with
0: an internal cap?
1: Officially, I think Neely came out recently. And said that there is no internal internal cap, um, but you know what you say officially and what happens might be two different things. But officially, you know, no one has confirmed anything that there's an internal cap. So the Bruins are sitting what with about 11 million dollars in cap space right now. Um, is there an internal cap space? Well, I don't know, but we have to look at number one. Bruins fans know this. Jacobs is the cheapest. Owner in the NHL, I don't have much respect for the guy personally. Um, it's always been this way with Jacobs. It's always been uh, just cheap, 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 and it's just the way the guy is. So, Delaware North, they're in a little bit of a trouble, and I didn't really, you know, examine until recently all about Delaware North. Well, so, Delaware North is one of his major revenues, right? His, you know, right. I, I mean, and of course, you know, they're dealing with a lot of sporting tourist events. You know, for, for example, um, you know, they own more than 50 sports stadiums, including the Bill Stadiums, Key Bank Center, and all of these sports stadiums have been shut down since mid-March. And um, I remember reading a financial article and sports revenue accounted for more than $1 billion annually for the company. And I think there are, on average, I mean, don't quote me, but it's maybe $3.5 billion annually they, they claim to make. So that's a lot of money. It's a third of their money. They also um, have uh, a lot of restaurants, retail sales, and 25 different airports. And uh, let's face it, you know, the fact that 80% of air travelers um, aren't, aren't traveling right now. They also own um, some hotels and casinos, about ten of those. So they're hurting. They're hurting. I mean, the guy just put up his what, eleven million dollar apartment? Whew. You know, and you you could read into that what you want, but you know, Delaware North just laid off fourteen percent of their, and that's where they're headquartered, I believe. Where's that at? in Buffalo? Fourteen percent of their workforce, and nationwide, four percent. And they're also selling some assets. They claim it was before the pandemic, but this is the kind of deals that they have to make. Um, and again, this is, a, a, I think it was Forbes or Business Journals that I remember reading this, businessjournal.com, I think. Um, anyway, but they're selling one of their Illinois casinos. Well, they paid $180 million in 2011. They're trying to sell it right now for 120. So they're basically taking a huge hit on, on just trying to get rid of one of these casinos for whatever reason. So if you just add it all up with all the NHL, um, lost ticket sales, lost concession stands, retail services, I mean, the Delaware North is hurting. So it does make you question, is there an internal cap? and we can't answer that but we'll let everybody answer that for themselves. Delaware North is certainly hitting the uh, the toughest time I think because the company deals so much with you know people going out and enjoying themselves, casinos, hotels, games, I mean you name it. So y- y- they're in, they're in some financial trouble it looks like so there might be an internal cap There might not but given how cheap he had ha, he has been in the past, um, you know we'll, we'll see if that plays out but I don't think we're ever going to know that answer. I think Neely knows that. I think Neely has to deal with him more than anybody. I could be wrong. I'm, I really don't know the front office structure that well, but I think Neely's you know in daily conversation with the Jacob family. I think the son's so sun son has taken over much of the reins, but you know, well, let's not forget too.
0: um, you know, Jacobs has, of course, as all Bruins fans know is notoriously cheap. Um, but to play devil's advocate here a little bit, um, if you look in the past, especially in the recent years, they usually Bruins have been able to spend up to the salary cap. Um, but, uh, with that being said, with everything dad that you had just mentioned, um, you know, for our listeners, you get just a very broad idea of how much, um, you know, those businesses rely on people showing up to these events. And obviously with COVID, that's not letting anything happen. So they're losing massive amounts of money. Personally, I'm going to speculate because I can do whatever I want. I think there is an internal cap. I don't know what, how far that goes um, or what it would, be, obviously, nobody could predict that or even begin to speculate, but I think that even if, Dad, even if there is an internal cap, fine, there's an internal cap. We won't get a big fish and spend all the way up to the cap, but that doesn't mean Sweeney can just sign Smith, some depth guys, re-sign some our players, and then that be it. I think that Sweeney has to make additional moves. He now has to be very creative and aggressive in trying to make trades happen? Who would you, who do you think, first of all, the Bruins should trade off, make some cap space?
1: What What do you think? Well, I hate this portion of the podcast because, you know, we're speaking to Bruins fans and diehard Bruins fans, if you're listening to this podcast. Um, so, you know, we might be talking about someone's favorite player or, you know, they may disagree and they can get heated, but uh, it is our podcast. So who should the Bruins trade? In my opinion, I have not seen $2 million worth from Bjork. I, I just think the guy's too small. I mean, he goes in the corners, and he's not getting the puck. And that's a big difference, because when Wachant goes in the corner, nine out of ten times, he's coming out with the puck. And he's 5'8", 5'9". 5'8", I think, So there's no reason why Bjork can't go into these boards. And he's literally thrown around like a toy, in my opinion. He's not coming out with the puck. Now, I'm not saying he's not a talented player, but I think the Bruins need to move him along. The Bruins need to go with the toughest players. Everybody in the NHL knows that you're not going to go far in the playoffs without being a tough team. Period. And the Bruins, for, I mean, do you remember the finals a few years ago? Bruins were manhandled by St. Louis. I didn't like talking. About it. Manhandled. And it was much the same, I think, this year. And the Bruins have got to learn they got to go back to the old school grit. And they got to go in there banging the boards. But anyway, I think they we need to trade Bjork. What are we going to do with Nick Ritchie? I think the the Ritchie Brother experiment is done. But we still have one more year with the guy paying him, I don't know, one five, one, one three. One five, yep. Uh so you know, trade him. But it's not really gonna do much, clear some cap space. What about Lindholm? I don't think Lindholm. He's the same as Bjork. You know, these, all these guys that we, that we brought up from Kuhlman, and I like Kuhlman, but I'm just saying it seems like the coach was his plan, and maybe he was forced to, is, okay, this isn't working out. We're losing in the playoffs. So now we're going to bring up these guys and sit these people. And we didn't have a consistent third and fourth line. And all most of these players going up, they're just placeholders whether it's Bjork, whether it's Lindholm, even Kuhlman, even though I think he's a little bit better player, uh, they're just placeholders. Remember back in 2011, we had a solid four lines. Any of those lines go out there, and they're going to score. You had confidence in them. I feel like I'm watching the playoffs, and every time the third and fourth line is out, I felt like their job was just to survive and not get a goal against to give the first and second line a breather. It was just saving time. They really, I that's just my opinion. And of course, you can feel there's a little bit of passion in my voice. But that's just how I, I felt. It still kind of hurts, you know. I think the Bruins could have should have gone farther further. But you know what, whatever. So Lindholm. Now the one we need to get rid of the most is John Moore. We're paying this guy over two million dollars. Did he even play? Well, he play, a couple games? Come on. Let's make a trade. Someone will want John Moore. We're stuck with him for two or three more years. Clearly, Cassidy doesn't see much in this guy. Or, I mean, why are you going to pay this guy this money and just uh, scratch him? And who are you replacing them with? Really, some really inexperienced players. Not that I'm against doing that. And maybe they play better than more, but we need to get rid of more. So Bjork, Richie, Lindholm, Moore, I think those are guys that we can make trades for. Yeah, I
0: agree. And I think that, um, you know, going to Bjork, I think that Bjork is such a interesting topic of player because, you know, there are those, you know, Bruins fans are like split 50-50 with Bjork. Um, people think that he's got so much potential and all this upside. He does. He had an excellent, excellent um, NCAA career with I believe Notre Dame and that's the reason why the Bruins really took a liking to him but don't forget that before he played almost full-time the season with the Bruins the previous two seasons um, he had season ending season ending injuries to his shoulder that required um, pretty extensive surgery um, so I think him not going in the corners and stuff I think that that's probably part of it but like you said um, you know I don't think that it's like old school anymore it's where you need like tough tough where everybody's you know, beating each other up kind of. But you need guys who are big enough to stand their ground, who will go in the corners, even something like a Jake DeBrusque. You know, he's not a quote-unquote like tough guy or super gritty, but he's a good power forward. Yeah. He, he's got speed. He goes in there. Yeah. And here's the thing. Bjork is creative, good player. But when it gets to the playoffs, you have to play simple hockey, simple hockey. And, he, and
1: unfortunately, I just don't see that right now. Brad Marchant goes in the corner, and he'll come out with the puck. And it doesn't matter who he has to battle to get the puck. It's because he's smart, and he has a plan. And it, you know, sometimes Brad gets gets mauled over because of his size. But he's smart, and he knows, and he, he knows just what to do and how to battle, and he'll come out with the puck. And, you know, Bjork can't do that. We can't have someone that's, you know, a smaller guy, under 200 pounds, that it's just not going to it's just not going to work anymore is 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 my feeling you know so anyway i don't want to pick on poor bjork um you know the guy's talented i just think the bruins is not the team for him so and you know what i hope he has a breakout season i hope that he does really well i
0: mean that's all you can hope for is that you hope he does the best but we do have our opinions on certain players yeah. um but I, you know without me going into detail about um what players I think should be traded or or moved to clear cap space or to get some more assets. Uh, I'm pretty much right there with your list. Um, You know, Bjork, you know, I I disagree with Lynn Holm only because I don't think that we would be saving anything. It'd be like maybe a sweetener and a trade if they, you know, team really likes him and needs that depth fourth line centerman. But, you know, I think that Richie is already gone in everybody's thoughts, everybody that is on Twitter and Facebook and trying to predict next year's lineups. Nobody, is even including him in there. So I, I don't even see a place for him on this team. And obviously the uh, the elephant in the room is obviously John Moore with that near almost $3 million contract. What is he at,
1: $2.75 million more for what, two or three seasons? Uh, let's see. Uh, he's at two two point $2.75 million in all the way to through 2023.
0: Yeah. So he's here for a couple more seasons, and I think it'd be good to move him in clear – um, out space so kind of what almost what you were saying near the end um, of of what you're talking about dad um, what goes into the next thing that I want to talk about is what do the Bruins need to fix in their lineup now given the quote-unquote like latest additions even though it's not that much What what do you think the
1: Bruins still need urgently to compete <coughs> well like I said before and and you know, the NHL, people in the teams in the NHL have to know that they cannot get far in the playoffs without being tough. And we keep going this route with, you know, European finesse players. And while they, they play a role, we can't forget the old Canadian and, and, and now America that's really turned on, you know, hockey talent over the last couple decades. And it's, it's tough. You know, I mean, look, look at Maroon. He's an older player. Uh, Has anybody signed him, by the way? Not yet? Yeah, Tampa
0: re-signed him. Two-year contract, nine hundred grand.
1: I mean, that guy threw us around in the Stanley Cup finals. And then he did again with Tampa. And then he did it with Tampa. And, you know, it's not like the guy's, you know, super talented. But he's big. And he's going to hurt you. And the the point of a body check, even if somebody passes the puck, you finish your check. And the reason for that, that anybody that played hockey is – you wanna let that guy know that you're hitting that every time he touches the puck, you're gonna get banged. And I think a lot of these other players that they, you know, they've gotten to where they are because they're not big and they're talent, uh, but you, they have to make the transition to playing a tough game. Bergeron's done it. Marchant certainly has done it. So there's plenty of small players that have, I think have successfully made that transition from the finesse game while keeping the finesse to talent, but having to get more physical. And I know like, and I know that fans, you know, are split 50,
0: 50. I know a lot of old school are saying, you know, we need more grid, more toughness. We need guys like a Matt Martin or something, but there it's, I think, I don't remember what's called functional toughness. Somebody had said it perfectly for a team. Um, that it's not necessarily just toughness or being able to fight, but to be able to handle taking a hit, to be able to go in those corners, well, being tough, getting right. in front of the net for a certain guy, those forwards who need to get in front of the net. Yeah. I don't see any of that. I see a lot of them being reserved. And maybe the bubble had a, dip- a different atmosphere, obviously well, it did, this,
1: and And, you know, you feel bad for some of these younger players because there is a big difference when you make it to the NHL. And you can you can see that just even on TV. And, you know, you take someone like McAvoy, who is learning how to protect himself. I mean, he's got to do a better job protecting himself when he's going to take a hit. And there's been a few times where he's gotten hurt. And, you know, he's got to learn that these, is, these are big boys. You know, you got Pat Maroon coming at you. You know, and you've got Reeves coming at you. You've got to be able to take a hit. And I don't know, maybe... Early on, maybe they were so fast in their other leagues that they didn't have to worry about that. But welcome to the NHL. And I think that's part of the game of of the difference between AHL and and the European leagues um, and and the NHL. But I think, you know, the Bruins, you know, they got Seneschin. they need to sign. They got Coleman where they got uh, uh, Sarl. um, so large so large yes. that they have to sign to I think they're good development players I like Kuhlman I think he has a potential uh to 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 be sort of a postronaut slash you know a Marchant type player uh and they just need to continue to work with him I why don't they bring up Trent Frederick Frederick is he, bring the guy up I mean talk about tough this guy's tough and why are we, you know, why, you know, why we have limit? Let's bring this guy up. And luckily Sweeney
0: had said he's going to be one of those guys that's making to look the jump. And he's another first rounder I that just, needs to get I, his just, I, just,
1: I just don't know, and I'm not going to question coach of the year, but I just wonder if if Cassidy favors certain player, style of player, um, you know, over that. And, and, and I know that, you know, most coaches, even coaches that were former goons if we could say that uh that have coached in the nhl or echl or ahl that they want their teams to be full of talent we don't want to take too many penalty minutes and i understand all that but it just seems like cassidy doesn't want to go with the tough route and it's it's not working for us in the playoffs it gets us through but when it gets to playoffs we got to get tougher i thought we learned that lesson when we lost the cup even more this season but um What about the potential move here for Hoffman? Yeah, so there's a recent
0: rumor. It's been going on for a few days now, I guess. But uh, now the Bruins are really in the mix. Supposedly, two other teams. I I can't remember off the top of my head, but Bruins are really interested, trying to make a move for Hoffman. Allegedly, I mean, all these rumors going around. Don't think that this is
1: six foot, 182. And he's
0: looking for a one-year contract at around $6 million is what Hoffman is looking at. And he won't get that with the Boston Bruins. No. But does he want to win? That's the question. So, we'll
1: I mean, you look at his stats. I mean, three seasons over the last three seasons, he's got 87 goals, 98 assists. However, but he's at minus 20 in some of the years. I think last year he was a minus five. So, you know, is he, you know. I mean, not, not looking good there. But the guy can score. The guy can help the team. But for $6 million, I didn't really want to $6 million. Forget it. No, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of, you know, Bruins fans are split half and
0: half even with the Hoffman opinion. But, you know, Hoffman does produce offensively. I think uh, the 2018-2019 season, I think he had 38 goals or something. So, he can produce. You know, he's gotten – you know, he's eclipsed over 70 points before and everything, but – it's a problem when he's in double digit, you know, minus double digits. And, you know, for the Bruins and the way that their defensive structure's so tight and has been for years, um, you know, modeling after trying to model after Bergeron's beautiful back checking ability and everything, you won't get that from Hoffman. And you got to say, you know, do you really want to, especially with this salary cap, the way it is, with the way the economy is going to continue to be, I don't think that even for a year, it's worth it to bring in Hoffman to put up points when he's going to be a defensive liability. And that's just my opinion. We do need the help. He's a good power play guy as well. That's something that I wouldn't say we need a ton of help from. I know that Krug labs but and leaves a hole, but that's defensive. We
1: need to fix, we need to, in my opinion, we need to fix a third and fourth line and we need to have it back to 2011 where we had four solid lines. And I know that most teams don't have that, but we need the depth. And Bruce just didn't have the depth. And if that first line was not scoring, we didn't score goals. Second line, occasionally third line, you know, Wagner would score or something like that. We need to have more depth in those four lines. And the defense, I mean, is Chara coming back? I mean, I know we're running low well on time here, but, you know, is Chara coming back? Well, probably not. I mean, Chara – Whether or not he should come back, people can be be, uh, split on that. But I think Bruin Sweeney's still working on his tier one plan, meaning his priorities. And I think Chara is a tier two, meaning we'll get back to you. If we got room, maybe we'll talk about signing you. You'll have to take a pay cut. You're not going to get two million, that's for sure. And you won't get the ice time that he's been getting. Right. Um, But I think he's a tier two priority. And uh, I don't think Sweeney's done. I think you know if we start blasting Sweeney, I think he's going to come up with a deal, and you know that's going to help the team. So uh, I think it's a little premature to say that. But are we going to keep Chara? I mean, that that's another uh, thing that that Bruins fans are, are are wondering about. But Bruins need to uh, you know fix the defense. Yeah, I agree that, and mostly the left
0: side. I think the right side uh, looks just fine in my opinion, but uh, the left side's pretty weak and. You know, Grizzlick is for sure getting re-signed. Um, whether it's one or two years, doesn't really matter at this point. So we'll have Grislyk. Um, Obviously, he's going to take a top four role. Most likely, he'll have to be slotted in beside McAvoy on the top pairing because, or unless they make a move for a, a defenseman that could play that position, we'll have to rely on Grislyk. Um, Other than that, the only left-hand defenseman that we have starting to pair with on the second pairing with Carlo is Moore. Lozon, who Lozon has been a great shutdown defenseman, but disappeared during the playoffs and was replaced by Clifton on the right side. Right. And we also have Zaboral, you said was left hand and right. So at least we've got Zaboral. Obviously, he's going to be most likely on a third pair. And then you got Char. So you got Char, Moore, um, Grizzlick, and Zaboral. And we don't have a top four left hand defenseman other than maybe Grizzlick. And who knows? Maybe Zaboral will come in and do well, maybe Char will be with Carlo, but I think Char, if, if he's going to resign, he's going to be on a third pair, because he cannot be playing the 20-25 minutes a night, he'll be used on the penalty kill a lot, and then he'll be on a third pairing with Clifton, or if Lausanne goes to that right side again, like he was doing, but there's a lot of questions for the left-hand defenseman, now, Dad, before we go today, yep. obviously defense, replacing Krug, that's a no-brainer, as we were just talking about, but... Going back to the forwards, obviously, we've been looking for our right winger to pair with Krejci and hoping that DeBrus stays consistent. So we've got that beautiful second line again that was super successful, like Lucic, Krejci, and Horton. But news that came out, I believe, yesterday or maybe the day before, but three injury announcements. I'll start with McAvoy. I didn't write it down. I forgot, but McAvoy had a surgery. Not too bad. He'll be back by the time. Um, they'll even be doing like training camps and everything. So he'll be available for off season activities, but Marshan had uh, a surgery for his sports hernia and he's the recovery time is going to be at least, at least, I'm not saying at most, but at least four months and pasta recently had, I don't, I didn't write down all the fancy words for it, but basically a, a major hip surgery and he will be taking five months to recover. Now, I think that they probably had these surgeries you know, a little less than a month ago, you know, a little while ago, so you might want to cut down some of that time, but the NHL recently announced the official, quote-unquote, tentative date because it obviously could change at any time, is January 1st. You take – I mean, you do basic math. Yeah. They're going to be missing, and POS is going to be missing probably for at least the first two months because you've got to think, too. That's now an extra at least five months that Pasta's not even really skating that much. I'm sure maybe before he's fully recovered from his injury, he might be skating a little bit. But, you know, you don't want to be like, um, you don't want to rush him, right? No, because look at Miller. You rush him into it.
1: It's a a slow recovery. And what, McAvoy's got to clean out his knee, right? Um, Yeah, I think it's a knee problem. And, you know, Pasta with, with the hip. Um, so, here's, here's the big question. You guys. know, those, those, those take time to rehab. So, what's going to happen now? Like, we were
0: just talking about potential uh, lineups. Now, who's going to be on the first line? Now, listen, we've seen Bjork
1: on the first line, and uh, well, we've seen – I don't know if you've seen the I, I, I understand where you're going, but I think it's too early to start doing starting lineups and, and doing lines because I don't think the Bruins have done, you know, signing – and, and this is where trading, so I, I think we have to wait on that. But on the surface, yeah, it doesn't look good. You, we're losing three of our, you know, top players. And maybe
0: Hoffman is worth it only because, and this is just maybe Avery's. I'm not saying this is a great idea to get Hoffman for this. But, right. I mean, the first line is going to be lacking. And You can't expect when Martian and Poster not come back that they're going to be at full speed 100%. I mean, it's going to take them a while. So we need that immediate, you know, top three score. I mean, you need a first liners to help Bergeron out. He's getting old too. What if,
1: what if Bergeron gets well, injured? Well, you he have to wonder if, if these injuries, and again, you know, whenever you're talking about knee injuries, I mean, you go back to the old Bobby Orr 1970 days. I mean, you know, those doctors were butchers, you know, and they'd, they'd really tear up the knees. But, you know, it, things are much better. Science is better. But still, anytime you're messing around with, Going in, you know, arthroscopy or you know whatever that's called, where you got to clean out the knee and the hip, you know, it's not 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 great. You're not replacing anything, you know, you're not replacing tendons and but you go in there and you've got to clean out some stuff, and you know it's never a good thing for a hockey player. So maybe that'll have some impact with Sweeney of what he decides to get in case Pasternak with his hip he has trouble with it and he doesn't have a good season, hypothetically, maybe he needs to start, you know, looking ahead for that. Maybe priorities have changed for the Bruins, where they were going after these players, but now knowing the uh, knowing the, uh, the injuries and the surgeries, I mean, just speculating here, but maybe their priorities have
0: changed. Yeah, I agree, and that was one of my first thoughts as well. So, obviously, you know, we've be sitting here for a while speculating, but it does raise very major concerns that Bergeron will not have either one of his top wingers and that's the perfection line the you know when the team's not doing well they're the ones that carry us and we this is where the Bruins are going to start looking into the future a little bit and starting to realize yeah like these guys you know Marchand's getting old I know Posternock isn't but Bergeron's getting old too when these guys are in the lineup people got to step up they got to realize that
1: they're not going to be here to carry the team sometimes. I mean, we have an aging core for this team, and everybody knows it, with the exception of maybe McAvoy and, and Pasternak. I mean, all these other guys from 2011, they're still on the team, but they're old, and we can't expect them to still perform. They, they need help, and everybody kind of knows the Bruins are, you know, uh, they're aging. And we have to get better players coming in. Poshnok's great. McAvoy's great. But we we, we need more. So what I'd like to see, I'll close my portion of this, is I'd like to go back to, you know, old school Harry Sinden. And this is really where the team is being built by by our GM. And, you know, it's like you you think about some of these blockbuster deals, smart deals. And, you know, you, you talk about, like, how did the Bruins get Ray Bork? I know Ray Bork. You know Ray Bork. You've seen him play. But, you know, you don't remember him too much as a player. player, But do you know how we got Ray Bork? No, I have no idea. So the Bruins had in the 70s, we had great goaltenders. And at the time, we had uh, Jerry Cheevers, who was a number one goalie. We had the backup who was also a number one goalie and brought us to the Cup in 78 or whenever it was, uh, Julie Gilbert. But Sinden also had a deal, and we got Ron Graham, who was a good goalie. But what are we going to do with him, right? And I think Don Cherry actually played three goalies in one game, by the way, just a little tidbit. And Jerry Chivas got really pissed off. I remember hearing uh, uh, Cherry talking about that not too long ago. But anyway, Sinden traded Ron Graham for a draft pick to L.A., and we got a first-round draft pick from a goalie that we weren't going to use, who do we get? Ray block. Cool. We need these smart looking ahead, not filling hole plans that we seem to be doing today. We need to kind of invest long-term and think what would be smarter long-term deals. Now, I'm not saying trade a good player to get a draft pick, and the draft pick never works. But I'm saying you need to be a little – I think – Sweeney needs to continue to be looking forward rather than filling in holes. But when you've got holes to fill in, you've got to fill them as well. So I just hope that they they don't trade out of desperation, that they don't sign out of desperation, that they look a little bit more long-term. And uh, I know players don't stay on teams the way that they used to back in old hockey, but, um, you know, the Bruins seem to have players that want to stay on this team. And that's been a trademark of the Bruins. So I hopefully Sweeney makes smart, smart decisions here in the next, you know, month. Because that's what Cassidy's going to have to deal with. And the GM's got to supply the coach with a workable team. And in all reality, too, you know, as we sit
0: here and we talk about um, Sweeney and, and our personal opinions may not be very positive about it. Obviously, you know, as any other passionate hockey fan especially Bruins fan we're going to sit here and play armchair GM and think that what we think is best for the team but I I do agree with you what you had said in the beginning I think that I still have faith in Sweeney I think he's got contingency plans I think that he's being very careful and not being a desperate team and trying to pick up somebody um, and signing a terrible contract that could hurt us in the future Um, you know we don't we can't speculate if truly they have Um, an internal cap or not. Either way, I think that he's really taking his time going over his options. And although teams are pouncing probably on some of his A, B, and Plan C options right now, um, I think that he's still working around it. And trades are still possible. You know, as much as I get frustrated, people probably see my stuff on Twitter sometimes, you know, there's still time for trades. There's still time for moves. You know, we're only – we're less than a week into free agency, obviously, as the big fishes are, you know, going very quickly now. Uh, there's still plenty of options the Bruins can work with. And, you know, Dad, I think I agree with you as well. I know that, that the window is very small. It's closing with this aging core, and we need to win now. But goes back to, I don't think that they should be desperate and make a huge move that they could regret for the future because they now have to think, we have to build off this new core of McAvoy, a Um, And those, you know, Carlo, like those upcoming players are
1: new core. And we we are, you know, the Bruins fans are passionate and, you know, we don't have patience, but, you know, I think the management realizes, but, you know, to the Bruins fans defense, you know, we went to the cup three times recently, right? Since 2011, we've been there three times and we walked away losers twice. That's not good. We have to fix that. We have to, you know, they have to analyze and do, I mean, this is what they get paid to do. They need to analyze and find out what the problems are and make drastic changes. And And I just don't see that we've made that many changes, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. And hopefully we can see some, some more toughness on the team and uh, we'll t- get to talk about it next week. And I hope uh, all the listeners that
0: joined us for the first episode, you know, we really, really appreciate you all taking the time uh, to listen to us. This podcast is going to be, you know, Father and son. I mean, I used to, uh, the reason why I'm even such a big hockey fan is because of my father. He uh-huh. played a, in the beer league growing up. I'm pretty sure he's like a three-time beer cup champion. Three-time? Five-time? Five-time. Yeah. So, you know, I grew yeah. up every Sunday going there for his games. You know, we were there all Sunday evening and everything. And I was on skates when I was, what, two or three dad, but didn't stick with that. I wasn't interested. I'm actually a musician myself, but my love for hockey has grown and grown and it started probably back in like 2009 when I started to actually really like it and uh, been a fan since. And it's amazing to have the opportunity to write uh, with, you know, black and gold hockey productions and Mark giving me that opportunity. But now I get to have a hockey podcast with my father on an official platform. So this this is very interesting.
1: So we'll see everybody next week. Yep. And thank you all for joining in. Thank you.